when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Please note that this episode of Waypoint 101 carries a content warning for abuse and self-harm, starting with a letter reading at 107.18. What's good, Internet, and welcome to the world of Shadows. This is our Waypoint 101 episode for Shadowrun. Dragonfall, director's cut. I don't think there's, there's the end of it. There's no additional thing there. I'm Austin Walker. Joining me today here in Lobby One, uh, one Joel Fowler. Hello. Oh, hello. sorry, that's not true. Mr. Showtime. Yeah, Mr. Showtime. Mr. Please. Showtime is here. That's the name of your street mage, right? My street your street mage. wizard. I love it so much. And also coming to us over the over the matrix. Mm, uh, decked in. Decked in. Decked in. Uh, and and posting to the Shadowland BBS is Zach Attack himself. God, you fucker! <laughs> Rob Zachney. What was your? What do you? What, what's up? What's your Shadowrun name? What's your? Oh, I mean, it's my my standard handle, like the, my my already my my online oh, identity. Uh, Flitcraft. Flitcraft. That's a good name for. That's a good Shadowrun name. I got really excited that is your character was Zach Attack. I wish it was. I wish it was. So, uh, we we the, of the three of us, uh, two of us have played the game all the way through. Joel and I both beat it. Uh, I beat it this week um, for uh, which was really great. It was really fun to to wrap that up, and it's really fresh in my mind. I know Joel. You, I think you beat it earlier this month. Yeah, or like couple, late last couple month, a couple weeks ago. ago that sounds yeah. right. And and Rob, you're like what, like ten hours in, twelve hours in, something like that. Uh, about ten. I'd have gotten farther if not for. I made two mistakes. Sure. One was waiting for Phantom Doctrine to start sure. like doing more. Uh, it didn't. Nope. Uh, and the other mistake I made was I went with the hard difficulty setting because I was like, just give me those tactics. Mm. Give me those tactics. Right. Uh, and I think that derailed me in one major place. I'll. Talk to you about in a bit. It's a great sequence, but it really but, screwed me over. Yeah, totally. So uh, we're going to dig into it. I want to say right up front, we're going to get deep into spoilers. I think we're just going to be a spoiler open zone. We're going to be able to talk about everything through the entire game for this podcast. Um, I'll say that as someone who's beat this game before and went back to it, it was a joy to kind of revisit it. And there were lots of things I'd forgotten and lots of small details that there's no way we'll spoil. Um, and alternate paths and things like that. So even if you you're curious and like uh, you're curious enough to listen, and afterwards like, oh man, I kind of want to play that game. Maybe go play that game, or you can do what I did, which was immediately uh, finish Dragonfall and then start up Hong Kong and then stare at the character creation screen for. I've been looking at lots of wikis. I've been spending. I spent three days trying to build a character so far. I can't do it. I just um, bought it as soon as you? I finished Dragonfall. I bought Hong Kong. It's it's. 
I'm remembering. So I put like six hours into that before and really liked it, but I didn't stick with it because I was I was a giant bomb at the time, which meant it was like I'm playing this for the quick look, then I have to put it aside and move on. And now I'm like, I really want to go back to it. So I think I'm gonna. I just need to spend a week creating a character in my mind before that happens. Which I guess brings me to the very first question, which is just I guess two things. One, tell me about your characters. Two, uh, tell me about the time that the two of you had with the Shadowrun world and whether or not you had background in it and this kind of blend of cyberpunk and, and fantasy. Uh, and, and on top of that, the kind of the, – the, the double world, the, the new world of like uh, the, the German flux state. Rob and, and, and Joel, where are yeah. you at on that stuff? Uh, so I ended up rolling an Elvish Rigger. Okay. And so that's uh, drone control for people who that's like you're you're sending drones out and stuff like that. Yeah, basically, and I figured be, like it kind of fit the way I wanted to play, just with the tactical layer. Where I figured mm. like if I've got a, like if a small army of drones at my command seems like a useful thing to uh, to have, mm-hmm. and certainly seems to accomplish a lot of what I would want from more of a like pure like muscle or tanky build. Uh, sure, the, the drones will be my tanks, basically, <laughs> literally. Yeah, uh, so I th- that was the sort of character I went with. As far as like philosophy went, it was something I sort of groped my way forward towards. It was actually uh, the world of the flux that started to bring who I was into focus. Mm. Like I began, like I picked Elvish because I liked the uh, sort of inclination toward like uh, charisma and just being good with words. Right, and so like. I don't know, the, the character I sort of ended up going with was kind of a natural fast talker. Right. Uh, somebody who can usually, like, you know, has a great deal of, of savvy, but can usually sort of soft pedal uh, his way through situations until that abruptly stopped working for some reason in Seattle. And so mm-hmm. the character that shows up in uh, Berlin is sort of a uh, humbled uh, character oh, I like in, that. in many ways, uh, but also not really on board with the uh, with the flux and the politics uh, therein. Kind of that an was outsider in your mind who's who's coming in and going like, "What is up with this weird shit?" Like, yeah. what do you mean the flux state? That doesn't those are those are antonyms. Those two things are opposites. Something that has a state and something that's in flux is like that's not. Don't know. Uh, I like that. I like that premise for a character coming into the world. Joel, how about you? Tell me about Mr. Showtime. So Mr. Showtime is a street mage uh-huh. um, that came from Cologne, nearby Berlin. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Really big in the uh, disco house scene. Love it. Um, and really used magic as a diversion on the subway. And in place oh, of dancing, man. we diverted everyone's attention and took some credit sticks. I see. So you were a scammer. Yeah, I was a scammer Damn. that used my magic. I mean, passively, but just trying to get by. Yeah, I get uh, you. I wasn't actually dancing. That was a projection. I see. And one day I tried to do that shit on Monica. And that shit doesn't play on Monica. Monica grabbed my hand and said, what are you doing? I love this so Come much, Come with Joel. me and started to teach me the ways of a Shadowrunner. Wow. And then that's when you, you got to the you got to the, the Cruise Bazaar? Cre- Rob? Kreuz. 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 Because it's like Kreuzberg. Oh, right. Duh. Which right. Is like it is my literally favorite Kreuzberg. neighborhood in it Berlin. It is Kreuzberg, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, yeah, that makes way more sense. Uh, so, the, have either of you played Shadowrun stuff before, either tabletop or Genesis or or, or SNES or uh, what are the other Shadowrun games? There was a Sega CD Shadowrun game, believe it or not, that never got translated, never got localized to the, to North America. 
Yeah, I mean, I'll I'll go first because my answer is very short. But this was my very first introduction to anything in the Shadowrun universe. Do you think it was effective as that? Because I think one of the comments I saw from a lot of people on the forums was like, hey, this as a game doesn't do a great job of introducing some of its like mechanical <laughs> concepts. I think that that is partially because it began as DLC for Shadowrun Returns and kind of I think – the devs, harebrained schemes assumed that people would have definitely played through Shadowrun Returns, which does this very slow, handholdy, uh, like guiding you through all of the basics of the combat. You never really get a huge. It's never. It's not the same thing. Like you have a, a core team that you return to over and over again. You're building huh. your characters in the same way. It's not like that. It's it's way more. And it does. And it does the like welcome to the sixth world. Welcome to Shadowrun. And so this is just kind of like boom. You're in it. You yeah, know, I, with it. I definitely had um, a bit where I was overwhelmed because it's you know I, I've I've like seen Blade Runner, right? Kind of get you know some of the cyberpunk, sort of, right? You know, I knew there would be you know like bionic improvements and right. stuff like that. Um, and then there were elves and dwarves and orcs, and I was like, oh shit! Like, yeah, it all came at me very fast. Where I was like, okay, this is. Pretty much what it says on the box, which is like cyberpunk mixed with like magic fantasy and right. dragons. Um, and I, I think that stuff was more overwhelming than the combat. I mean, huh. the combat stuff, I think figuring out team composition, obviously, but I, I think in any new like turn based strategy game, um, you're gonna have to figure out like where everyone fits. So that stuff was was easier. And, you know, I think with some experience, I would have known a little more about where to put points into and kind of how to stack the team. But um, luckily going with the mage was a really safe choice because you're not... There isn't a mage on that team already. Yeah. It's like uh, Dietrich does some spell casting, but he's a shaman. Yeah. And so a pure mage is like a pretty good... And I typically go, you know, in games where you can really stack, like, I'm going to go combat. I'm going to, like, use rifles and traditional combat yeah. stuff or, or magic. I almost always go combat. Right. Like Dark Souls, Mass Effect, et cetera. Right. So this was, like, Mixed I've always off, wondered what in. the other side was like. <laughs> I've always wondered what it was like to, like, kind of sit back and, and use magic in different ways and just breaking down doors and shooting stuff. So it was a lot of fun to, like, figure out. And the magic stuff, at first you feel pretty underpowered, but definitely, like, midway through the game when you get a couple of these, like, really key spells. Yeah. Like... So the AoEs and armor yeah, stripping. Yeah, and, and, and taking away action points, right. like, for a whole AoE area. Um, that stuff was super, super fun and cool. worked really well with the team. Rob, have you have you visited the streets before? No, I haven't. And that's I a think... surprising thing to me for some reason. I I guess it shouldn't be because there isn't really a great Shadowrun like tabletop miniatures game, even though there was a lot of role playing. You know, I, so much of it is the group of like nerds that I fell in with in high school were like D and D purists. Like it mm-hmm. was like. You know, and there's a lot of different experiences and worlds you can build within D&D, right? Like, but it was cool. Like, we stay in those fantasy systems. Right. And I think the, um, you know, edgiest we ever got was a, an abortive attempt at a, a Gamma World campaign. And, it, like, so we ended up just kind of always sticking to the familiar and never really got into Shadowrun. And then, you know, there weren't really... 
you know, for for me at least, there there weren't a lot of like Shadowrun video games that caught my attention uh, back then. And for a long time, like Shadowrun was kind of a uh, yet another one of like uh, Foss's lost and, and abandoned treasures, right? Right. Uh, so I never got into it. I didn't really know much about the universe, and I think in part because of Shadowrun's influence, there's always been like a lot of um, fiction fantasy that plays with this like. Oh, it's you know, it's the real world, but it's got like elves and shit right. in it, right? right? Like sort of a uh, you know, punk low fantasy uh type approach. And that became sort of a enough of a cliche that I never really got the appeal of Shadowrun. So fair. here, which is fair, like I just want to say really quickly, that's fair. The there's a lot going against it if you're someone who like I did for years, quote unquote, took cyberpunk seriously. Like William Gibson really hates Shadowrun, right? And it's like, oh, well, that's an easy thing for me to fall back on. Um, and there's always felt like it was missing something. And that's on me for not approaching it on its own terms and trying to figure out what the old versus new stuff was doing and what you could do with it. Um, um, so, yeah, that's, that's definitely – Rob, I'm sympathetic to, to your kind of like this feels cliched. Well, I want to get into that a minute because I want to hear what Gibson's line of attack on it is because what I started really getting from this is that in a lot of ways it takes cyberpunk very seriously. Oh, it It does. Totally. It thinks about like the politics and economics and the ways these can be – these are analogs for stuff that was already at work in the real world. And the other thing is this is a game of two – a product of two eras. The Mm -hmm. universe is a like Cold War spec fiction. Right, mm-hmm. like that's where this universe has its origin. So it's all uh, the rise of you know electronics as a massive uh, you know consumer, uh, you know a, a massive industry. Uh, and I would say the Kreuz Bazaar and the, and the Flux State very much like is about Germany in the eighties and particularly West Berlin. Uh, you know, in in the late Cold War. But then this this game we are playing is made. In the modern era, and right. is inflected by a change in context. Uh, but I think, as far as like introing you to this stuff, it's it's interesting. I actually liked how disorienting it was. Like, mm. dude, I had the moment. There's this moment, like toward the end of the first act of the game, where they reveal that um, you are caught up in a conspiracy that involves fucking dragons. Yep. And you get the backstory on like, okay, so the first thing you're introduced. To, too, is this concept that there was this uh, this dragon that terrorized Germany, uh, Feuerschwinger. Uh, and A.K.A. Firewing, for those of us who are going to stumble over pronunciation over and over again. That was beautiful, and Rob. It was, it was gorgeous. Uh, the, the, way I, the way I put it a lot of times is I have a very good uh, working knowledge of, like, paramilitary German uh, in Ooh. some ways. Okay. So, like, <laughs> I kind of... Uh, I've heard I've heard people screaming uh, "fire" a lot. Anyway, um, but then the reveal that oh, there's tons of dragons in this world, right? And they went corporate, right? And instantly, the, yeah. And then the dragon becomes kind of a metaphor for corporations in the world, right? What are they? They're kind of these like uh, conniving, yep. immortal, uh, you know, all-encompassing entities. And the like dragons in, in this. They're moving invisibly. They're moving in ways that you that you can't pin them down. You might be a pawn of one the whole time, right? But they were they kind of they now represented power, whereas power right. was brute force and fire. Like, right now, power is 
Acme Corp. Right. Know, well, that's whatever. like part of the distinction between Firewing and some of the other dragons in the game, right? Is that like Firewing showed up and put everything on – set everything off ablaze, right? Like that's what, what she did. Um, whereas like Lofir or Lofir – Lofir? Lofir. 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 That Lofier. might be it. That sounded good. Lofir. Lofir uh, uh, showed up and was like, oh, I'm going to own everything. Uh, Dunkelzon shows up in in North America, runs for president. Uh, you know, um, becomes the first president to have a first lady who is a friend and not a spouse, which is a weird thing that I know about this world. Mm. Um, uh, and then immediately gets killed, like uh, minutes after the inauguration. It's a whole thing. There's a will. There's a will that I could read you. It's a long whole thing. Anyway, um, I think that that stuff is. I think part of the thing I'm curious about for both of you actually building on that though is this kind of species analogy that's happening in this world has always been something that I've like struggled with. You know, when I was a teen, I loved Shadowrun because of the Genesis and SNES games. And then when I started again taking Cyberpunk seriously, I kind of moved away from it. Um, And then I tried to like dip back to it in my college years, but I was put off at the time by reading what a lot of white folks did with like Native American uh, – uh, which doesn't come up in this game, right? This is the thing that like because it takes place in Berlin, you're not getting the fact that there is like a huge Native American nation, a uh, First Nations nation in the in North America that is like very much rooted in um, like the, some research and white dude understanding of some Native American stuff. And at the time in my 20s, I was very much like, ugh. Like this stuff is all rubbing me the wrong way. This is like mostly because the the people I was playing games with at the time when I was in college was like a lot of white people. Right. And so like I couldn't deal with Greg talking about his headdress. I couldn't deal with it. Um, And the thing that happened I think in the time between then and now is – that I've played games with and am am lucky enough to have shared my Shadowrun experiences with more marginalized folks. So like when like Dia, uh, Dia, uh, Lacina, 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 is this uh, Lacina uh, or or Latina? Latina um, talks about in her. She wrote an article for for us at Waypoint and talked about her. Uh, it's not about Shadowrun. It was about another game that was kind of drawing on. Um, Kind of was it South American dragons versus dragons versus Europeans, Europeans dragons versus something, something like dragons that, versus colonists. But she wrote about her time playing Shadowrun, and I saw a lot of my time playing Shadowrun there as turning it into something from a marginalized position, taking taking a compromised setting and being willing to compromise yourself a little bit to turn it into something that is you know for me blacker and queerer and and more radical uh, than what the base stuff was. But it worked because there is room for that there. Shadowrun is a game that's interested in marginalization. It is a game that's interested in class relationships and queerness and, and you know, and bodies and all of that stuff. But it's also a game where, like, there are – there's a, a lizard person, like, conspiracy. Like, dragons are – someone wrote in and no, noted this to us that, like, hey – are dragons kind of anti-Semitic stand-ins in this game? Because like the lizard people who control all the money and secretly move everything around is like straight up uh, an anti-Semitic conspiracy theory. Um, and in general, the notion of like, okay, well, orcs get a plus one to body and elves get a plus one to charisma and dwarves get a plus one to willpower. Despite the fact that the character creators, like there are people from every walk of life in each in each species, like each metahuman sub-variation, they're all equal. It's like, but also take this bonus body point. Mm-hmm. And that contradiction has always been so hard for me in Shadowrun because – 
I'm always going to play an orc decker. Like in my heart of hearts, an orc decker is who I am. I like the orcs a lot. Um, they make orc – there is orc exploitation film in this world. Like orcs are very clearly – are very often used in the setting to be black and brown people of color. Um, they are – they are uh, a lot of – a lot of – People in power think of them as being physically intimidating even when they aren't. A lot of the sort of baggage with being a black man is caught up in the vision of what orcness is in this world and so I relate to that. And I'm going to not take the plus one, two intelligence or charisma that I could get from another species or whatever, right? But it's still kind of – it's like it's just somewhere in the back of my brain all of these things of like, yes, I want the metaphor. I want the dragons as corporations metaphor, but I also see that in some ways that metaphor is lacking because corporations aren't individuals. Corporations are more formless than that. And also the corporation as the individuals who are pulling all the strings ends up going some dark and weird places, you know? So yeah. I'm curious how, how y'all felt about those things. I read into a lot of the metaphors more into like the sentiment behind them, like mm. the sentiment behind what the corporation stands for and like all-consuming power, very little care for those, like, left right, behind. Right, right. Um, and obviously, like, it definitely wasn't lost on me that a lot of the kind of, you know, the disparagement between the classes and, and races was stand-ins for things that exist in our own world. Right. Um, and I I don't know. I've had a weird flip in my head, and, and this may be a tangent, but I was reading about the lore of Bloodborne, and trying to understand, like, what the fuck I had just finished and, like, where it all started. <laughs> yeah. And in the days of the, like, church crusades, if they had come across some tomb that unlocked some godlike magic, <laughs> they would have absolutely taken that power. Oh, yeah. And then that, that you know, incredibly horrific and terrifying world would be reality. Right. And, like, so I'm just, you know, playing through Dragonfall immediately after that. I'm just like, okay, well, what would happen if there was suddenly people with magic and right. suddenly people with abilities and obviously like x-men has tried to tackle this in a number of ways totally um a lot of a lot of uh, media has but i i felt like i often sympathize when you meet the guy on the street that's like raising money yeah. like you know running essentially a shelter and stuff like that i really felt like they were using these you know magical races as stand-ins to kind of make you decide um what kind of person you wanted to be um, and I did enjoy like how a lot of that stuff played out. Totally. I uh, there's a lot of I have a lot of complicated feelings about it. Yeah, uh, I have complicated feelings. Like I think the game is trying valiantly to have it both ways, where it's like, <laughs> okay, look, trolls can only have intelligence six. Now that's because that yeah. is a social construction. <laughs> it's a prejudice against <laughs> right. trolls. Right. But also, you can only have intelligence six. That's not. Let me be clear. Means... You can get higher than six. Oh, and you're right. No, trolls is six. You're right. It is six. That's really. It's that's kind of low, right? They can't be. They six can't ain't great. Six says you can't use the best computer. There's computers trolls look at in this world, and they're like, beyond me, man. I don't know. I can't. What is it? Is that an Excalibur? Nah, never could be. Couldn't I'm, be me. I'm just a simple country <laughs> troll here. No, uh, it's really, and and that's the thing. Like, and and you maybe like they're trying to create a background where it's like, okay. Um, this is a social prejudice. Like there's like trolls are never going to get access to this, you know, to, to this kind of material, this kind of education. And there are sequences in this game where they indicate like education is becoming a like commodity that is right. becoming like 
is becoming it already is in our world but like especially yeah. in this game is becoming a commodity that's about control like social control and like holding social position nevertheless you've got a game where it's like hey this uh analog for uh you know a, a marginal for marginalized people um i don't know they're just kind of they're just kind of not as bright and that's like I don't know. I, I don't know what you do with that. I don't. I don't think they've nailed it. Is, is no, what I'll say. No. Well, and, and it's it's it, it feels to some degree so like you just said, Rob, that it feels like this game is them trying to do their best, or like Joel, you said it's about it's about a sentiment that they're going for. This game constantly feels like, and I think all of Hairbrain's Shadowrun stuff feels like they're going. All right, inside of this framework, how far can we? How can we fix things to some degree? I I would say they probably could have gone further and just thrown out stat maximums entirely and said like, oh yeah, you get a bonus based on social, uh, you know, the social social access to or access to certain um, things. If you're a mage, you can only have so many body points. If you're a decker or something, right? Because they've thrown out a lot of the rest of the systems, right? So. I think that would have been fair. I think that you're fair in saying, Rob, that you have complicated feelings. Yeah, and you know, and then the other thing is, the analogies I've kind of work for me. Except the thing is, like, they work for me because I'm like at the end of the day, I'm a white guy. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so for me, I'm like, yeah, interesting. This is this is a decent analogy for you know these real these real world things. But I'm not the subject. I'm not the thing being analogized, right? right. It's it's an analogy for my consumption and for someone in my position and perspective. Uh, and that is a complicating thing. The dragons as worldwide Jewish conspiracy, I did not get at all. Um, I like. I think the game actually does a pretty good job of... You should finish the game. Okay. Everything you're doing, Rob, is because uh, an ancient dragon has secretly been pulling your strings the whole time. Mm, okay. Uh, and then and then that person destroys the bazaar a year later, or, or destroys the, the flux state a year later. With your mm. help. With your help, or not. You can walk away from that. Mm. Um, I, I think it's more of the the general the, the comment in question was very much about. I mean, I, I have it. I can. I think I can can pull it up really quick. Um, uh, here it is. This one. This is from Kath, who says uh, this problem is not the end of the game. So I understand you might not get to it, and don't read it before you finish. So sorry, Rob. Uh, I only recently finished playing this game for the first time, and one thing's been kind of rotating around in my head since then is Adrian Valclair's big speech. So this is one of the things you didn't get here, Rob, um, about uh, his plan, the way he talks about. Uh, about dragons um, is uncomfortably similar to anti-Semitic conspiracy theories. So for you, Rob, so it ends at the the end of this game is, I mean, I'm just going to dive into it again. Go for it. You go to confront. So it turns out that, so you pay Alice the money, right? You're trying to raise all this money to pay Alice. You pay Alice the money. Alice is like, yo, you got to drop this and go away. I ran into some shit that's scary. Um, There is a, uh, a holding cell of some kind in the basement of the manor that you attacked, and also there is something on the internet keeping anybody who lo- or like killing anyone who gets near it. Uh, and it, you find out that that is a, a, a malevolent AI named Apex. Um, you have a really interesting encounter that maybe we'll talk about in a bit. Um, and then you 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 know do that confrontation, and you learn something else at the end of that confrontation, which is 
uh, Audron, the the orc, the big fuck off orc who you think is hunting you, or or whatever the thing is yeah. that you think is hunting you. Maybe you think Apex is hunting you. The reve- the revelation, or you think Firewing is hunting you. The revelation is actually uh, Adrian Vauclair is hunting you, and Adrian Vauclair has captured Firewing and is holding is holding her. Uh, has split her her spirit from her body and is going to upload a virus, a biological virus, or, or kind of infect her with a biological virus, and then spike her in the brain with um, uh, with like she's rage, big, rage or whatever, yeah. so that she just goes off and burns everything, and then the virus is going to slowly spread via metahumans to all of the dragons and kill them all. And the reason he's doing this is because they're the one percent. Um, because they control everything from the shadows, because they've always controlled everything from the shadows. And because and, of Claire's been defined by that first experience exactly, he had yes. where, like, living in dread. And of, it's a great speech And on the its plan, face. though, well, the big part of the plan is to spread it. Right. The dragon is going to destroy your neighborhood and kill millions of and people. And kill millions of people. It's going to destroy Berlin, and the people who are fleeing with it will have been affected by it, and they will go to the rest of the world and spread it, and eventually it will kill all of the dragons. That conversation was so long, too, and there were so many... Well, it's a boss fight. It's right, a conversational dialogue. boss fight where if you make the right choices, you can talk him down and, and argue rationally that, like, he doesn't know that it won't hurt people, too, because he's, like, pretty sure it metahumans won't get hurt by it, but dragons will, and you can be like, uh, no, I read some files and I'm smart. This could mutate, obviously. Um, you can make some, like, bio, if you have a high enough, like, uh, medical stat, basically, you can make some arguments from that position. And you can do a lot of being like, yo, your brother spent his life trying to stop you from doing this and then you killed your brother by mistake. Don't do this. He didn't respond too well to me yelling like, you're an idiot. No. You should stop. Did you talk him down? No. Okay. I tried. Okay. You can. I did it on this playthrough. And he's like, oh, no, this is stupid. I shouldn't do this. And then the big orc kills him. Yeah. It's like, yeah, we're going to do it anyway. I wanted to get there. (sighs) I had watched all the DVDs, which were really, really great. Yes. They're good. good. So, Rob, you made it through. You definitely made it through. Was it the Green Lantern? The The Green Lantern? What? What's the? Well, sorry, the something lantern? The, the person oh, that the you green, the cl- oh, yeah, yeah, green, the, um, green winters, green yeah. winters, yeah, green, green winters, lantern is, who is yeah. secretly the brother of Adrian yeah, Vauclair. Yeah, got through is that Vauclair's where I started brother. to, uh, the first mission with the lodge, um, right? I oh, so you went to end, the trial, yeah, and it fucked okay. me over because we'll get to that. I think it's a great sequence, but like, yeah. I have words, okay, okay. So, yeah, I think that is where the to go back for a second, that is where kind of the the read on like, hey. Does does this specific aspect because it's one thing to say, hey, corporations which are which are controlled by people, but which also are sort of like part of their the the thing that's is scary about them is that they are this kind of vague, shapeless, um, you know, um, uh, they're arguably like synthetic organism, right? They right? are like they're right construction, but, but, yeah. But also like, but also like biological organisms in the cellular sense, where they're just like moving and stuff is happening in this almost non-intentional way. Which isn't to say you can't blame corporations for things, but it's like they have so many arms and so many legs. There is something bloodborne esque about about a corporation. Um, and I say that as someone who works for a corporation, who like yes, to today on Twitter had to be like, hey, a different branch of this corporation turned on content. 10 ID on our videos and now I'm apologizing for it, even though I didn't even know that was happening 
because that's how corporations fucking work. Um, uh, but and so there's something there was something I think this the Kath is who who wrote into us is, is saying that's like when you individualize it. Either I mean, one you can you can make this reading of it's like, oh, does that get a little too anti-Semitic because of the, the kind of lizard people like conspiracy theory trope? But also, I think there's another angle which is like, does individualizing that style of misdeed undercut some of the the uh, power in saying this is what corporations are like? I, I, personally, I think you can have both. I think part of the thing that's fascinating is that dragons are both dragons can in the setting both represent the individual power of a sovereign, of an executive, of a president or a king, and also they function and work with the power of corporations. Like Lofir isn't just a rich dragon who is a rich dragon and lives in a hoard of gold. Lofir like buys corporations because those work for him in this setting. And that's the thing that dragons have to do now versus in the mythological fourth fourth world where they could just like live in caves and I don't know, whatever the fuck dragons did in medieval times and in, in King Arthur times. The end was super cool, Rob. It, you should get there. There's this like cyclical role for the dragons and – and the firewing. If you want to fucking some hippie shit, man, let me tell you, the end of this game gets you some wild. hippie shit. It was really good. Also, I mean, just to like take it back from the very first mission in this game, I think the thing that really pulled me in from it just being a turn-based kind of strategy thing was you can't have your cake and eat it too. Like it set you up from the jump with oh, yeah. like a shitty situation and then everything after that, it wasn't like this is the right choice. It was like what is the – what is the least shitty choice I can make <laughs> right. like along the way? I mean that feels like a good lead into Rob, the mission that you wanted to talk about, which is the trial you get from – what the fuck's that dude's name? Lu- Lu- uh, Luca? Yeah. Uh, the representative from the lodge, the Black Lodge, like straight out of fucking I did that too. Twin Peaks. I regretted it immediately. Talk to yeah. me about that mission, Rob. Okay, so I think this is where having cranked the difficulty really fucked me over, but also like – uh, there's there's two missions I want to talk about before the this, this show is over, but this is the one like why like why didn't get why did I not get as far with this game? Right. Uh, because there are places where this game gets hard and things go wrong in really good ways, and I think this is one of the best heist games I've ever played in some huh. ways. Like it it comes across like it is like playing a great heist or crime film uh, yeah. in, in some ways, and I think this mission really typified that. You are sent. Uh, by this, uh, you know, kind of shadowy dude on basically an audition. He's like, here's a milk run. Show us what you can do with it. You can't bring your regular crew. You're working right. with people we picked out for you. We already know what your crew can do. The question is, what can you do? Right. And I had created, like, I was by that point, I was a bit of a, I was primarily a rigger with the drones. I'd also gotten into a little bit of decking. Sure. With the, uh, you know, because it's, it's only another tree that you've already sort of unlocked. You already so have all that intelligence, right? Yeah. So why not dip, double dip? Right. So I had double already probably... Sp- even. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, yeah, I, I was basically running the double down uh, character build. Um, anyway. Great. I had spread myself a little thin. And, like, some of those points had come out of, at the cost of charisma, and some of them had come at the cost of, like, developing uh, my ability to run drones and more, more powerful drones. So you go on this mission, and you get there, and it's a number of weird things. Like, it, you're, you're penetrating this, like, luxury high-rise, 
basically. And it's secured by these uh, paramilitaries called like the Knights Errand. Yep. Who are all kind of cool dudes is the thing. They're like, <laughs> you know, they look, they look fascist as hell and everything, but like you talk to them and they're just like, they're security guards, man. They're like, yeah. they're just pulling a shift. No, yeah. Shadowrun is really big on like the masses are complacent, not evil. Right, very much banality of evil mode of 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 uh, morality here, where you talk to any individual person who works for any corporation, and like ninety nine percent of them are like, "Yeah, man, just doing my job." There's upper a, management, upper right? management. Am I right? Like fucking, what do we, you know, doing my best for my family? You run into a janitor during a later run, Rob, and that exchange is fucking incredible. I love it so much. Anyway, continue. But yeah, so you, you get there, and like right away, though, the vibe is weird. Like your your point of contact is uh, this. Uh, this young electrician uh, lady who's like, hey, this crew's already, this has already gone sideways. Like, there's right. a couple hotheads in there. They've already gone rogue. You go in, the guy you're working with is this complete dick named James, and he is just an, like, utter shit heel. Uh, just right. r- aggressively, like, talking shit to every other member of the team. Um, Right, Rob, he's you, right? Like this is the – you were just saying before like you're not the marginalized position that these that these analogies are, are uh, about. But James is sort of the like the white dude in this game who's like, why doesn't everybody just listen to me? I have more experience and perspective on everybody else. I know how the, the way the world works. And then the rest of that crew is your character who is probably – who who is, is because of the way the metahuman structure works – Potentially, at least, not from a, a group that has kind of a, a hegemonic position uh, in society. Yeah. A a dwarf electrician who's never done this sort of work before, and an elf who does not speak English or does not speak German, I guess. Right? Uh, who yeah. speaks the? Nor the, speaks your dialect of Elvish, by the way. Oh, really? Like, literally, you can't communicate with this cat. Wow, that's uh, interesting. Okay. Yeah, and so you just see this dwarf, this elf, and by the way, this elf is fucking huge. Like just right. a fu- just a beast a built fucking elf, yeah. And he's just getting more and more pissed. And it culminates. Uh, there's a great sequence. First, you run to this family that's shopping for wetware for their kid, so that he can. Uh, it's juvenile, like uh, a juvenile brain implant to give mm-hmm. them that like plus one intelligence bonus because it's so important. So uh, important. To distinguish yourself in like grade school uh, as a student, and that's how he's going to sort of climb the ladder. Uh, and you got to buy a new one each year because you know they outgrow it. Uh, so you go, you go up to the residential level of this fucking building and you go into this apartment and the electrician does her thing, puts in this weird gas canister, which doesn't like, that seems weird. And you start asking like, wait, like what, what the fuck are we, like what's in that canister? Yeah. And everyone's like, fuck if I know, it's not our point to, not our, not our job to ask. And then James goes off. He's like, do you not know who we're working for? We're working for the lodge, you dumbass. Um, and then the homeowner walks in and it's the dad. Right. And James is like, I'm going to fucking kill this guy. And the big elf just loses it. And it's like, you are not killing an innocent on my watch. And it all just goes to shit. Meanwhile, the dad calls for security. The elf goes after James. And now there's security guards pouring in. Your crew is at war with itself. And you're stuck in the middle. And you've got to fight right. your way out of this building. And it's like the entire thing, the writing is really good. That entire like escalation felt really organic. Like this is a game that does an awful lot with a very little in terms of like, you know, it's walls of text and some good suggestive character art uh, and good writing. But it sold that moment of like, 
everyone everyone in this heist crew is standing there and suddenly guns are out and pointed at each other. Completely yeah. sold that moment. The problem is, at that point, it's actually a level check, basically. Are you a bad enough dude to shorthanded fight it your is way an audition. out of building? It yeah. is an audition. Like, it really is. Can you do it? And how can you do it cleanly? Because that's a hard fucking fight that follows, especially because you've probably lost your big elf dude. Yeah, that's the thing is I right after that encounter, it's like whether you got through it with killing the dad or not. Right. I tried not to kill the dad. Then immediately the big elf guy is an enemy. Right. And it's like, no, I want to fucking kill James. But, but now, you need James. Not, but you need James. That's but what Jonathan says to hide what you thought was these so surveillance. You both, you both went for it, right? That's the other thing. Is right. It's supposed to be it's, a surveillance. Yeah, it's, it's to be disguised as a, a bugging an apartment. Right. So why do we have this giant gas canister? Good question. So you both went with the mission. You both were like, "Listen, I got to complete the mission." Yeah, in for a penny, in for a pound. I tried to save the dad. I wasted the elf. Um, yeah, and then Same. like I could, but I couldn't make it to the U-Bahn. Like right. the final, the final check. I was like, I should have. I, like, why the fuck did I bring this this deck? I should have brought the extra the uh, extra drone. So there is there are a number of ways out of that situation, which is another thing I like about this game. Is there is you know you don't really get a legwork segment the way some cyberpunk games. And here I'm thinking mostly like tabletop stuff. Like in Shadowrun, the tabletop game, or in a game like The Sprawl, which is uh, what I ran for the second most of the second season of Friends at the Table, there is this moment in those games where you're like, all right, here's my here's my uh, uh, my mission. You get the kind of like pre-heist Ocean's Eleven or Fast and the Furious thing of like, I'm going to walk around. I'm going to learn from – I'm going to you know interrogate some people. I'm going to steal some blueprints. But they kind of inter- – integrate that directly into the missions most of the time where you're like I'm on I'm in a place but things haven't gone wild yet and so in that case in the trial you can fight your way back to like the front door like through the the escalator the escal- the escalator the uh, elevator down uh you can get out through a window yeah the, that fire, you, escape. the fire escape or there's a way to get open a utility hatch that's just in a security room um, or like a maintenance room or something, and that will lead you straight back to the U-Bahn, and you don't have to fight. You just have to fight some people to get oh, to there, shit. but that Fuck. isn't a huge fight. I and never... so because I was a decker, Fuck. I could hack in. I was a good enough decker to hack into that place and get that escape route. I got to like completely sidestep so much of that fight. Oh, which my God, I never that... even checked. Yeah, okay. Right, right. Oh, well, and that, the thing that's great about that is I think it communicates the same thing that you're talking about there, Rob. The feeling of like the heist has gone wrong and th- people are bugging out. What do you do? And I love the feeling of this game where it's like, well, who do you bring with you? Like you can do different things depending on who you brought. And it's not systemic. Like I, I think one of the things that's, that needs to be – that I need to be clear about because I have such a history of like – Shouting out and loving big systemic games that were like, oh yeah, because I because my skill check was blah, I was able to do this other thing in the way the clockwork world. Like, blah. No, no, no. Like someone just wrote three options to get out of this building, and that's what, good. What like, options it's they good. are? Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly that. Um, and that's this whole game. This whole game is just let me give you some scripted shit, but it's good scripted shit to the degree that even my you know proc gen loving ass is like. Yes, I, this works because the options are actually well written because you've actually put the points the points in. You've actually put the time and, and work in to make something that sincerely makes me like stroke my beard and go, fuck, I don't know what I want to do. But what that mission did for me, and I'm just realizing it now, is 
made me love my crew that mm, much more. Yeah. Because it's yeah. – you're like, fuck, if only I had Iger, if only yes. I had – you know, glory here. In this situation, we could have done X, Y, and Z. And yes. you're pretty early on. That's in the first chapter. Totally. You're doing that. So maybe that mission is what, when I got back home, Yeah. you know, when I got back we to our back hideout. To yeah, exactly. I was like, so good to so see good you. <laughs> you know? But, and, you guys want some $50 Turkish and, coffee? I'll go get the real stuff. Yeah, I got, yeah, I got this. <gasps> um, and everyone's like, why are you so excited to see it? You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, don't worry yeah. about it. Totally. We just bombed totally. Um, So maybe that, yeah. Right, the reveal, we didn't get to the reveal of this, right? Which is you have this whole mission of like, oh, I'm planting You're committing terrorism. Bugs. Right? But of course, you were you were yeah. planting bombs to kill this rich exec, which I'm okay with. Just tell me up front and make sure that you're not involving people who don't want to be involved with murder. And when you meet up with the lodge associates, yeah, of course. As you're coming out, depending on like who made it through. Like if James made it through, they're like, "Oh, I thought you would have killed this guy." And welcome aboard. Right. They're actually, like, well, if you can work with James, you can work with us. Yeah. And you're just set up immediately. Be like, wait, I was supposed to go in there, bomb someone in the name of espionage. Right. Murder all these people. And like, uh, I think Jana. Jana. Yeah. yeah Jana the, the had no idea. She was just like, I'm trying to get home to dinner with like my boyfriend. You right. know what I mean? And it's just like, like, I fucked up once and I owe them a favor and now I'm paying it off. You've turned me into a murderer. Like she, she loses it at you and rightfully so. She's like, you've made me into a murderer. Like this is not the thing that's supposed to happen. And this is all because of an audition for you. Are you fucking kidding me? Um, and this is definitely one of those KOTOR 2s type missions where like it breaks bad the other way too. If you if you kill James and exfiltrate, the end of it is like she's like, they're going to kill me. Like we had a mission and you scrubbed the mission. They're going to ruin my life. My, my life's ruined. You've ruined my life. And you can convince her to go with the elf to go live with like the elf's people like out of out of Berlin uh, and he'll like – you know, take care of her and all, but she's like, okay, cool. I guess I have to walk away from everything I love in Berlin. Thanks. Bye. Like shadow running. Total damned if you do. Totally. Well, like that is one of the things that there's a lot of themes in this game. I think, uh, there are two great pieces that I, that I want to shout out really quick. One is, uh, from Colin space twinks, um, who is a great Twitter follow. Uh, if, if you haven't followed Colin space twinks, uh, and that is over on the Tumblr page, uh, unlockable kangaroo, and Colin basically has this great piece about how how the game is often about control, about about uh, literally enslavement in some cases, but also kind of softer forms of control. And there's another another great piece, or interesting piece, I'd say, by Fran Rausch, whose premise I really love, which is if Shadowrun Dragonfall is grimdark, where does that leave us? In which Fran pushes back on the idea that like. Some you know the writer was was had heard people basically say oh Shadowrun Shadowrun Dragonfall is too grim dark for me and and their point was like yeah no it's a game that deals with unemployment and you know religious fanaticism and racist violence like those things aren't grim dark they're they're mature you should go into the game knowing that that stuff is there and and being willing to engage with it but it isn't like edge lord bullshit um, but a third theme for me is this this idea of being not only complicit. But the job of the Shadowrunner is is one in which the mores of daily life, the things that we that we walk through life with, in order to keep us from doing bad things, begin to fall away, um, because that's what capitalism requires of you, right? Um, and for me, one of the best stories about that is Iger's backstory. Iger's Iger's one of my favorite characters in terms of gameplay mechanics, like. 
Iger, Iger has always felt like a very Rob Zachney character to me because she is just this like big fuck off soldier. Um, but there was also some deep humanity in her. Not that Rob doesn't have a deep humanity, which is what it sounded like I was implying. <laughs> um, but you know, her. Did you did you do Joel her? I did every missions. Okay, side. So like my favorite mission. is probably either Dietrich's or Glory's. But Iger's has this great thing at the end, right? This this. So for Iger, um, Rob, you end up. Iger's whole story is she used to have a team. Things went bad with that team. She was part of this group that was going after kind of uh, human traffickers and some other serious organized yeah, a criminals. Specialized like military team. Exactly, and you end up going to after one who's kind of shown up in the neighborhood. But the addition to the team before that, right, was this kind of know-it-all, yes, rich kid, yep, who wasn't qualified, right, to be on that team. Who is very clearly like you, right? Whose parents pulled strings. So that they could be on that team. And then that person fucks up and fucks up during the mission and Iger is like cool with that and then fucks up after the mission and pulls a gun on someone who Iger was in the process of talking down, just like an average person. Uh, I think shoots them, right? He actually – I think the Iger story I remember and this – Yeah, I don't know if it plays out any differently but was that person – like made a mistake where they were supposed to stay concealed. Yeah, that happens during the mission. Sniping from distance and like, you know. Yeah. And put them in a position where their strategy fell apart right. because of their mistake. Totally. Like basically ran up and pushed the well, alarm button. That's the first mistake. And so Iger's already pissed at that guy. And then during the retreat, like during the escape phase of that plan, they run into somebody who's like a local cop or whatever. And Iger's ready to talk them down and this guy fucking kills them. And so Iger is like, no, nah, I'm going to kill you and kills him on the spot. And there's this great conversation with Iger where you're like, yeah, you're a shadow runner. You keep calling yourself a, sh- a soldier. You're not a soldier. Like you're outside. You have been pushed out of that space. You don't work that way. You're a killer just like the, re- the rest of us. You have all these great you know, lines about hierarchy and, and you know, order, reporting and lines yeah, yeah. and orders and all that shit. But it all falls apart out here because you know, the world, the world around us pretends to have those lines. But the only reason it stands up is because people like us – know that those lines are completely fabricated. And that is a kind of a grim, dark, edgy type thing, but it's delivered in such a way that feels like it cares first and foremost about the characters working through that feeling. And that's part of why this game works so well for me. And that's the first time Iger had shown like Iger talking about watching her old team leader yeah. like bleed out and being able to do nothing. Um and all of because this person that was junior and wasn't qualified to kind of be on that team had put them in that position. And, it, you know, it just, like, sets up a lot of that animosity, you know, especially with the first mission you're on. You know, Monica, who had Iger been running with for a while, uh, gets killed. And and also Monica's note on Iger was tough for me because as a player, I'm never super stern with my dialogue right. choices. And Monica had left a note that yeah. said, hey, if you want to, like, break through with Iger, like, you have to – be really, really hard. Like, and I, so, you know, I would say, like, stand in line or, you know what I mean? Right. Or, like, shut up and, and follow orders. And, like, it works. And it works. It's hard. It's, but it was it's hard because it was just like, you so... want to be like, you want to be like, listen, Iger, I get where you're coming from. Yeah. And that's exactly. just never going to work with it her. It didn't work at it's all. It's not who she so, is. Yeah. That stuff was super, super interesting. Rob, it sounded like you had a little, a little thought there. Well, no, I was thinking about this game's, I think this game has a really interesting cynicism. Both about hierarchy 
and reactions <laughs> against hierarchy. Yeah. Like, because the game also thinks the flux state's bullshit, too. Like the like the argument this game this game is making in a lot of places at least, uh, and it's articulated by someone you meet in that shitty bar in the Christ. Yeah, Bazaar, Lucky, Lucky Strike. Strike. Yeah, uh, where she's basically who is, like, who is really briefly on Lucky Strike. A thing that I love about Lucky Strike, she wasn't a character when this game first came out. When the game first launched as DLC for Shadow on Returns as a separate campaign in that same executable, she was one of the random Shadowrunners you could hire. That never had dialogue and wasn't in the game world except for when you paid money for her to come with you on a mission. And I guess people liked her enough. They're like, yeah, we'll put her in that. We'll add a bar and put her in it just to, like, be a foil for you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Yeah, and so, like, when you go talk to her and she's like, oh, I guess, you know, Monica uh, bit the dust and you're, you're running things now. But she makes the argument that like, she basically says straight up, eh, Monica had made herself too central to life in Christ Bazaar. Right. She had her fingers in too many pies, had become the queen of the neighborhood, basically. And your character's like, no, no, no. She was like, she was, she was an anarchist. Like, that's not like, that's not how she rolled. That's not what she, what she was. And Lucky Strike kind of laughs and is like, oh yeah, like she was an anarchist, huh? Like really? Uh, you know, l- let me ask you, how did decision-making work? Who made all the calls? And it's like, well, it's, it's Monica, but we had debates and Lucky Strike's response is, oh, and, and how the debates go? Like, let me guess <laughs> at the end, Monica put her foot down, said how it was going to be. And you all went along with it because Monica was in charge. And that's kind of like the, the, um, that's kind of the flux state writ large in some ways. Everyone's committed to this anarchist experiment. Oh, we don't have order. We don't have hierarchies. But what they've replaced it with is like a multitude of hierarchies and order that are all like hidden and un- unclear, but are in many ways like in some ways even more structured than the direct hierarchies that they're, they're sort of reacting against. And if you don't have the protection of one of these uh, right. hierarchies, you are utterly fucked, which is why you end up like you stumble across a medical lab in one mission that's basically been locked down for two years. And nobody ever saw what, like what happened there. Nobody ever checked it out because eh, they, <laughs> they fell off the grid and they had, no one had their back. Right. Because um, it had been purchased by a doctor to hide an experiment in, basically, right? For a really long lease, and it was just there. It was just there. And even the corporation that wanted to break in and get their shit back was like, oh, we'll wait until somebody else opens the door. Like, it's not important enough for us to actually in- engage with. It's the flux state. Fuck it, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that, that I think that there is definitely that cynicism there. But there is, the, there is also uh, the – I think it also romanticizes in a, in a way that is appealing for me – a sort of anti or an anti-capitalist. It is actually an anti-communist thing, right? It is, it is anti-centralization in the actual, you know, bazaar itself, where 
on one hand, yes, your goal, the, the kind of arc of your character, the arc of my character, Ghost Note, the orcish hacker who or Decker who'd previously been a jazz musician and a philosopher. Ghost Note uh, sounds like a great kid's show, by the way. I know, it's it's fantastic. It was, oh, that's the, the next life. After being a shadow runner, go on to become a kid's TV personality. Um was, oh, how do I become like Monica and become a sort of um, familial uh, figure, a sort of a sort of you know paternal figure in some ways. Um, and so there is that. But there is also the feeling that everyone is there by free association. Um, and at the best parts of your team working, uh, and this goes all the way through to the end where like, you know, you, someone on your team leaves at the end if you get a good ending for them. Glory, the end of the, the game is like, you know, we, I stuck through this thing I wanted to stick through with you. Uh, I have this other business to go take care of. I know this is like a family and I can come back whenever I want and I'll be back. You'll see me. But like you cannot order me to stay. I, I have other shit going on. And at the, best, at the best moments of the vision of anarchy that the Flux State has – and I don't think that's a particularly well-developed vision of anarchy in this game necessarily. Like, you know – there, you're not well, it's more libertarianism, it actually, but uh, I think it pushes back against it to some degree because you do have sort of groups that are like the. Did you deal with the sh- what do they call the Shocken? Right, oh, what's the yeah uh, guys the free information uh, the, oh, group? Yeah, yeah, dealt with them. Uh, yeah, so like you do have some groups that are very clearly about keeping the powerful in check, functioning as core members of this group, um, and and. You also very clearly have institutions at work that are not the sort that would function inside of an actual libertarian hellscape. <laughs> um, but it, it is libertarian in the sense of like those people aren't getting funded by anyone because there's no state, right? Like the 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 shelter uh, that what is that character's name? Um, not Paul. Paul's your your fixer. Paul Amsel's your fixer. Uh, I forget what the the orc character's name is. Who runs that place? But like that place has no no funding unless you give it funding. So it is. I, I definitely see where you're coming from there. But there is also this feeling of like the reason this this the bazaar exists at all. Samuel, Samuel, so, Samuel, like Beckenbauer or something like that. Yeah, you nailed all it. Right. Um, the the reason that, that the Crazy Bazaar exists at all is a sort of volunteer. We all we all find affinity with each other. We're building a commune together. There is a garden space. There is, you know what I mean. Like there are there are visual signals of a shared sort of space. But also the corporations exist there. You know, you don't get to not have the corpse. And so there is. It is at the very least a deeply compromised vision of what anarchy or anarchism and an anarchist kind of you know uh, uh, culture would look like, um, which. Like you said, Rob, is a sort of interesting cynicism because it takes it seriously. It would be so easy for this game to say, in the Crazy Bazaar, everything is good, period, the end. We're never going to have someone who is an outlier there. We're never going to have someone who's like pointing out its flaws. And instead they did. And I think that's it actually makes it a more honest depiction than, than it would have been otherwise. Um, do you want to talk more about that other mission you brought up oh. just now? Yeah, it's just it's a charming mission. Uh, you go into this abandoned uh, like mad science lab, basically uh, that we're doing some cutting edge, unethical uh, wetware research, and you know, of course evidence that they were torturing a basilisk, like just yeah. conducting like live vivisection on this poor thing, uh, <sighs> repeatedly trying to uh, like figure out how to basically make more effective knockoff uh, like implants, cyborg implants, and. The thing is, the place has been sealed for like, uh, like almost two years at this point, 
and you come across this guy who like announces that he's uh like king like uh king philip of uh, of oh, I the kingdom this one and yeah, so good he's like but you killed my peasants and you're like what uh, and what he's are like you, talking you killed about? my peasants the, my, my brave defenders of my kingdom and he's talking about his drones he's talking yeah. about security drones as and, a rigor did that touch you personally rob no it spooked me more actually okay because i was like this is like i mean like you know of course i also have a, i'm on record as not having always been nice to my roomba so it's really fair, alien fair. that's accurate but but what comes clear like he eventually you get the story of like well what went wrong here and in his like overwrought way because he's fallen under the influence of this really shitty uh like or exploitation slovakian ex or exploitation fantasy uh yep. tv show the only thing he's been stuck in here for two years uh with for entertainment is six episodes not even the full series six episodes of a canceled <laughs> slovak or exploitation fantasy show and it's with like no information or access to the outside world at all at all yeah and he's living off of like homegrown oh metahuman meat yep that he's growing in us in or it's like synthetic metahuman meat it's like listen livers got a lot of a uh, lot of uh, nutritional value in them yeah and he he wasn't alone to start but the guy he was right. with like heiner or something was wait heiner i think his name was heiner i think that's right uncle heiner anyway uh <laughs> But the other guy, like you, you hear the old security tapes, and the guy's like, "I'm not eating. Like this is cannibalism, dude. Like I'm not, I'm not doing it. Like that's that's organ meat. I'm not fucking eating that." So he goes, he gets killed by the uh, basilisk trying to break into the uh, land of milk and honey that is the executive suite. <laughs> there's like there's like rumored riches in there. It's like they've got the good nutri- nutrition bars. Um, but the other, the way this all went wrong, the guy tells you is, oh, it was an act of hubris. This one guy who just never listened to the appropriate workplace, like, OSHA guidelines about, like, securing beverages was just walking around with a cup of coffee. He stumbles, pours the coffee into, like, a security station terminal. Yep. That short-circuits the cage of this, like, enraged basilisk they've been torturing for years. The basilisk comes out, eats all the executives, which go Billy the basilisk, eats all the executives <laughs> and everybody with the uh, access to unlock the facility and is eventually like lured and sealed in the basement. And that's basically been how things have been stuck for two years. But the great coda to this, he's never seen the end of the show. Yeah. And so you're like, I guess, uh, you know, do you want to see the end? And he's like, no, I thought it was left un- incomplete, like a like a beautiful dream. But now I can never know peace until I see the end. So if you go and you, you give him the ending, uh, you also unlock the quarantine on the building, but you give him the end of the series, and then you walk out. And there are all these corporate goons waiting outside, just like a firing squad. Yeah. And they're like, hey, drop whatever you put you, you picked up from there. It's infringing on our copyrights. Um, we're not going to let you walk out of here with this shit. And that's where they tell you, we, we sort of been surveilling the place, but we weren't going to fix this problem. It was cheaper just to stick a camera, uh, here. But what's great because it's like, it's not just, it's not, Hey, that's our shit or it is that, but it's that the research that the doctor or that, 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 that place was doing was patent infringement yep. in a different country of their stuff. These guys are IBM. So that good. facility is Lenovo, basically. Yeah, exactly. Like that's yes. basically what, what's happening here. But as these guys are like, so look, just put your sh- put this shit down or we'll waste you. 
the intercom system comes on and the music from the, the TV music. show from that you'd show. heard in the security tapes begins to play across the loudspeakers and the guy and and uh, King Philip is like you will not hurt this man <laughs> <laughs> knights defend our friend oh. and it's like this ride of the Valkyries as all these security drones pour out of the building and just it's fucking so but the great thing is the the, the corporate goon as the scene begins the, his last words are just the fuck? <laughs> and then they just get rolled uh, so by good. these drones. It is such a good, surreal, like, I don't know, just dark I would watch satire. that episode, right? Like, I would love the, I would love the Dragonfall TV show because this episode would happen and everyone would be like, it is. Like, it's just completely great dark satire. And then the next episode would be another, like, weird I went from run. that into the run, the, the, the trial run. Like, that was the next okay. mission I did. So right. I went from, like, ha this is hilarious, to, like, don't fucking kill this guy. I'll fucking right. waste you. <laughs> right, exactly. Like, and that's one of the things I actually love about this game. So, briefly, Shadowrun, Shadowrun has had a few games, right? We, we've kind of talked about this already. Shadowrun had the SNES game and the Genesis game. Um, and at the time, when I when I think about those two games when I was growing up, I liked the Super Nintendo game, which is a story about, you know, a character. It's a story about a specific character who gets caught up in a big conspiracy and there's a rat spirit and the dragons and the jester and there's like a very specific story being told. And the Genesis game has that too. There's a character whose brother gets caught up in some shit and you play the, you play that character's brother and you, you know, you're going on runs to make money to blah, blah, blah. The Super Nintendo game is fairly linear. You're, there's no like, you're not going out on runs. You're doing a specific set of runs to get to the end game. And, and, the Genesis game literally had a proc gen system for building runs and sending you in to go like kidnap an executive from another company to because another company wanted to recruit him or having you like – it had like random events as you walked around the city streets and so you would just bump into a vampire or you would you know, see a guy being chased by the cops or whatever, right? Um, you know, very, very bare bones stuff but it was a Genesis game and I was 12 or whatever so I loved it. Um, and then when I grew up and started playing tabletop Shadowrun and other cyberpunk games, the thing that I loved was this feeling of like I'm going out on runs with my crew. And yes, there might be an A plot that ties things together. I know as a GM, but one of my favorite things is to like start teasing what that A plot is through little side bits in little missions. But the the first Shadowrun Returns game that came out was more like the Super Nintendo game. It was a straightforward thing about a specific event. And yeah, you did one or two side runs, but it didn't have that feeling that this has, which is today I'm going after the, the place where the basilisk is and I'm going to get rescued by the, the guy who thinks he's the king of uh, – Night King of Sutherland, Philip Rex. Thank you. Night King of, of Sutherland, Philip Rex. Uh, and tomorrow I'm going to go on a trial run and everything's going to go to shit. And this game so encapsulates that feeling of being on a crew, being in a place, doing runs to make ends meet. I love just the simplicity of like you need to make X, X dollars and to do that you need to do Y number of runs. And you can skip some of them. They are Some of them are fully optional. You can hit that goal without going over. I, of course, did everything, so to some degree it is still a linear the game where you're hitting all of those points, but it still produces that feeling of like being in the city, 
living week to week, you know, from run to run. How trustworthy is this information? How exactly? What are we getting into now? Which you know, who's the Johnson on this one? Johnson is the Shadowrun term for like who's the the mission giver? Like, can I trust this person? Um, a couple of the a couple of the missions really lean into that in really cool ways. Like, not to like go through the whole list, but there is the mission it's like Mark Six or whatever the MK Six mm-hmm. one where you end up uncovering this whole operation about trying to make people into drones and it's it's a great fucking story thing at the end where you basically rescue this person who's been turned into a, a living drone and your mission is to deliver the mark 6 to your employer and you know you can free that person and then they immediately are like no I don't want to live like they right you give them brutal. free w- free will and, and their they, choice is to not live as a they crush a, like they Right, crush they their crush own their own skull. skull. It's it's brutal. Um, and then you're like, well, I guess technically the employer didn't say they needed the Mark Six alive, so you just like put them in the truck. Right, and after you had done the first lodge mission, right. there's two vans there. Oh, really? See, I told off the lodge at that point. I wish I had after I saw oh, what the lodge shit. was. But at first I was just like, oh, money? Like this is Damn. linear way to earn money? Like yeah. I'll do this trial run. Sure. And then every mission, Luca – you know, is calling you, you with an even more compromising choice oh, shit. for even more money than your original. So you could have sent that that prototype to the lodge. Yeah, you could have fucked over whoever like Gave hired you, that, you right. for the mission for a little bit more money throughout the game. And there were two vans there, right? And it's just like, which van are you going to put? You know, which van are you going to put the body in? Right. Right. And also the interaction with Glory and like I mean, Glory's brought, whole thing is also just great. Oh, you're saying in that mission? In that mission right. specifically, it kind of definitely like hinted at like Glory wanting to like remove this thing and yeah. like and, and like, let this person let rest, this person basically. Yeah. yeah, like this person has been turned into a slave and has had their body, you know, non consensually fucked with, which is important for Glory because I mean, we should probably talk a little bit about Glory, who I think is one of the most talked about characters here. Again, Rob, I feel a little bit bad Don't because this is stuff that, that comes across uh, pretty uh, naturally. I'm really curious slowly. about what the story is. Yeah, about. so I mean, I'll, let me read a question really quick because I think this one gets to. Two, two, one where I want to talk just generally about Glory, but I also really want to talk about this very specific thing, which this came in from Robin who said, I've been psyched for this 101 since y'all coincidentally mentioned it around the same time I first finished Dragonfall, and it's easily one of my favorite games now, but it did leave me with some complicated feelings. For example, in my playthrough, choosing to respect Glory and the boundaries she establishes with regards to discussing her past, her past meant that I ended up missing her personal mission, which, as a queer woman, really bummed me out. I didn't feel comfortable loading back to pressure her into talking about it either, and it all felt bizarrely tone-deaf in a game that otherwise gets so much right. So my question is, how common of a practice is it by design to expect players not to take no for an answer, and why of all games did it show up in this one? Um, And uh, for some background, if you haven't played the game or or if you haven't gotten this far yet, Glory is very resistant to talk about her past. Glory is the team's medic and, and kind of melee bruiser. She has these outdated, old, big, giant cyber arms. Older than she is. Right. Yes. Yes. They're from like a previous period of cybernetic history. You know, they're they're from the first half of the of the twenty second century instead of the latter half. Um, and the only way to get her to open up is to kind of push on where her boundaries are. She says like, "I don't want to talk about this right now or ever." And you have to be like, "I'm your boss," which yeah. again, speaks, you're on my team. You're I on my team. Yeah, which speaks yeah. to Rob. Your your you know your read of this is being kind of cynical about the the kind of flat hierarchy stuff, right? Like, no, actually, there is a hierarchy at play here because you're the person who could say, "No, tell me." Um, we had someone in the in the forums kind of add to this. Shawnee said. Um, 
Uh, there's actually, in story explanation for this, one of those little details that makes the game so good, if you read Monica's dossiers on the team and talk to other people about her, you learn that she had a particular fault as a leader, an inability or lack of desire to help people with their own emotional or psychological trauma. She never got through to Gloria or Iger, and, she, uh, uh, and if you want to do better, you should be pushing the boundaries harder than Monica did. There's also a little thing that got edited out here, which is she also is the one who got Kimmy hooked on BTLs, on, on Better Than Life Sims. Who did? Uh, who's... Monica did. Oh, fuck. Yeah. And so there is <clears throat> a sort of like – Monica takes the far opposite. Problematic like, not, not my business to get involved in your personal life. And I – you know, the, the game wants to say your job as the runner or as the boss of this team of runners is to know more than the rest of the team does so that you can account for things. Like it's your job as the leader to know the histories of your team so that you can trust them on runs. I still felt really uncomfortable going down this path with Glory because she so firmly sets those boundaries and it feels shitty to push on them. Like 20-year-old Austin, you know you know who would push on Glory's boundaries is fucking um, – James. No, James. But also the redhead uh, Decker who you get. What the fuck's his Blitz. name? Blitz. Blitz is the guy who pushes on boundaries and doesn't know when to take no for an answer. And I think part of the confusion around that being in this game uh, is that the Blitz storyline is literally about convincing him to take no for an answer. It's literally the good outcome of that, of his thing, is like, yo, back down. She doesn't want to talk to you. Chill. Um, and so it's weird that with Glory, you have to push as hard as you do, though I think Human interaction is weird and sometimes sometimes people don't want to open up and would be better off if they did open up. And so there is there is like a, a gray area, but I don't feel comfortable breaching it even in games where I'm used to breaching. Yeah, I stopped talking it's, to Glory. Like, I didn't stop yeah, talking totally. to her, but like I stopped pursuing that dialogue option where it's like, hey, what's your story? Because right. like the defenses were so real. I was like, yeah, like clearly it would be – Almost like violent to try to like right. demand that story from her. Tell me about your abuse. It's just like, yo, chill. You know, that's not a good way of doing right. it. Right. It's like the two reads are, oh, I'm asking the tough questions because I'm the team leader. Yeah. And if, you know, yeah. on the other side of this, there's some sort of like healing or closure right. that I can provide that you don't know you need or something right. like that. Right. Very Which presumptuous. Is, and yeah. Super presumptuous. Again, That's so interesting. And I only came to that after reading like, uh, is it Aaron? Aaron's piece that you linked? Uh, I don't remember. Oh, um, which one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, or no, I think that's, I don't know. I thought there was an F in there. There's a, there's a grimdark piece. And then reading, obviously, like Dia's piece on, right. on Waypoint and just right. saying, like, the perspective of coming in. Oh, it's an E, Eron, Aaron. I thought it was an F. I've been saying Fran, and it's an E. It's Aaron. Yeah, you're right. I was just like, wow, I'm pronouncing this name horribly no, wrong. No, okay. I just didn't see the little, the little bottom part. I was, but, I was like, wow, I had no idea it was pronounced that way. Because like, <laughs> yeah. Aaron has, e like, pitched us a number of times. Like, we, yeah, we, yeah, I feel bad now. Yeah. Aaron, don't but, listen to this. Don't, yeah. yeah if you're, Aaron, please listen. Stop listening. But if, yeah, like pushing ahead on that, because everyone said when we were kicking this off, they're like, Glory's story is like super, super awesome. Yeah. And to get there, I had to push and I didn't, I didn't take a step back and say like, hey, these are, these are the boundaries. You know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah, yeah. I was, I took that route where it was like, hey, if you want to be on a team, we need to talk. Like I need to know where you're coming from. I need to know how reliable you are. Um, which is really, really interesting hearing you and Rob's take on it because you quickly were like, no, nah, I'm not going to – like 
you set that line, like I'm not going to push past that. Right. I mean, that's what I did the first time. And then this time I did push past it because – oh, actually the first time when I played this game, this stuff wasn't there. The only personal story when this game launched was Dietrich's. Whoa. So this is all humanist thing. So Glories and Igers are both added. Um, and I think Blitz is two, I'm pretty sure. Uh, and it can, you can tell one because there's original music for them. Iger, or Iger's and Glory's special runs both have this like unique dope track to them. Um, and Glory's story is really good. Uh, so like the, the bits that you get from her from just talking with her inside of uh, her or inside of the, the crew's like headquarters are fascinating, right? Like she comes from this very conservative background. Her family is deeply religious. They like more than deeply religious are, are, you know, part of an almost extreme religious extremist group that is opposed to, uh, all metahumans, but especially elves and dwarves, right? Because they don't want to fuck with trolls. Uh, um, and anti-magic and – Super anti-magic. Super yeah. anti-magic and abusive. And her father yeah, like, is abusive. Like, like I imagine them as like torches in the street, like yeah. you know, that kind of – Yeah, totally. Because Glory stuff goes goes to some real places, some really heavy places. Um, Glory ends up to escape her family – uh, I mean, so she develops magical powers, right? Like she she has her awakening. She she you know um, wakes up one day, as happens in the X Men and also in Shadowrun, uh, and it is revealed to her that she has the ability to do magic stuff. Um, and her father reacts in a deeply abusive way, like physically harms her badly, and she leaves and runs away. Um, and lives on the streets for years. Um, lives as, as it is implied uh, as a sex worker. Um, I think it handles that stuff fairly well. In that she is like, she's like, that's not. It's sort of positioned as being a negative, but the thing that's mostly a negative is that she doesn't have control of her life more than the sex work itself. It's not like, oh, you're so mm-hmm. dirty for that. It's much more like, yeah, I did what I had to do to get by. I'm. I'm I'm at peace with that part of my life. It's not a a degradating thing necessarily, but it but it is something. The thing that's a problem is that she like didn't have resources. She wasn't living in a in a in a you know a, a situation she was happy with, um, and she ends up being taken in by she ends up meeting this girl Marta, falling in love with Marta, uh, and the two of them. Marta reveals that she's part of this like clique, this group that lives out in the woods in this like cool cabin uh, that's run by this dude named Harrow, <laughs> who is like. Every terrible poly dude I've ever read about in my life, um, just like the shittiest cult leader. Yeah, um, poly cult leader, older, yeah. older dude yeah. preying on young, uh, marginalized people, especially women, um, and uh, also is working with the devil, like the adversary, like the capital H, capital O, horned one. Right, because Glory's. Getting to all of this and you know there's a turn and yeah. the setup for this place is like we finally found a place where home. we we could eat and right. you know there are other people that were cast aside and and you know like it's going to take a turn. Well, because, and you know because the world is filled with people who prey on the marginalized, who prey on right. young queer women, and who and and the world is filled with with you know young queer folks who are who have been by their families tossed into the fucking streets and so i think part of the reason why glory works so well is the setup for this is so good and then the follow through goes to a place that i never expected it would go which is it isn't that harrow physically abuses glory which is what i expected 
what Harrow does is like anoint her the chosen one and says, oh, you're like me. Uh, and this is a form of emotional abuse obviously and pushes her towards hurting other people. And so much of her story is her grappling with the fact that she chose to hurt people but also knowing that in the analogy and in in just in reality, she was also pushed there herself. Where does her responsibility for hurting others begin and the responsibility of those ranging from her father to the devil himself to society for not taking care of her uh, end? Like who is to blame for this and how do you make it right? Um, and so then you get the mission, which is like I'm going to go fucking deal with this guy. Before that, Rob, on Glory's uh, oh, kind of right. backstory. Right. So Harrow teaches her how to like – Harness her magic. To like really use her magic. To actually use her magic. But Harrow is also working for the devil. Right. Um, and Harrow encourages her to get retribution. I forgot about this completely. It for is the rough. abuse. Yeah. And in the backstory, her father was super, super abusive and part of this religious cult. Her mother was kind of like her mother wasn't painted to be abusive or, right. um, you know, horrible towards her. But, but all, you know, definitely – witnessing all of this stuff happening yeah yeah yeah. so she goes to the house to confront her father harrow is like go fuck up your father yeah basically like go put it into this evil man like you're you know you have magic like you you know you're special like you're you know you're deserving of everything in this world and blah 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 um and she goes and she like basically like charges up what sounds to be like a giant attack knocks on the door unleashes the attack and it was her mother. Right. And then her response to that is to go get rid of her essence. And the way you get rid of essence in this world is by by installing cyberware. So she just went to the nearest fucking shop and said, yo, cut my arms off. What's the cheapest, biggest shit you have? Replace every single right. thing you can with whatever's lying around, even if it's outdated, even if it doesn't function. Right. Because I just want I don't to want not have any, these powers anymore. I don't want the, any essence whatsoever. Right. Because she also felt like if she were to ever like run and be free, that Hera would be able to track her through right. that magic. And there's a lot to unpack there. Like we talk about Fuck. the analogies of magic and mutants and and elves and dragons and stuff. There's this is a very dense story that I think the podcasting format is limited to the degree of which we can unpack it carefully. Um, especially once we start talking about Shadowrun's notion of what the human is. Like we've had lots of conversations this year because of Cyberpunk 2077 about the the kind of politics of bodily purity. Uh, in the cyberpunk world, you have a, a skill or a, a stat called humanity which you lose as you add more and more cyberware and that you get back as you remove cyberware or like go through therapy or whatever and kind of adjust to that. In Shadowrun, you just have essence. You have a soul and whenever you put something metal in your body, you lose it. And you don't get it back. You can you can you get a cyber eye. That essence is gone. You pull that cyber eye out. You put a bio eye in there. Still gone, it's right? still gone, right? You've, you've burnt your essence. And so Glory has made it so she can never get that essence back, um, which is which I think is a really complex thing that I don't necessarily love because it for a lot of reasons for a lot of reasons that that are about kind of bodily autonomy and. And the ways in which disabled folks need technology to live and and the ways in which you know trans folks want to control and, and shape their own bodies and the ways in which I think like shaping your own body is not a fundamentally 
bad thing. And and also, I'm just an existentialist, right? I don't think I don't think essence, the human essence, exists in that way. I'm much more a believer that like our experiences and our and our consciousness makes ourselves, and that there is some true. It's not deep, like a finite pool, right? Yeah, that you're yeah, burning yeah. through yeah. because you got a prosthetic arm. That's fucking. That sucks, right? Um, and again, I think they're working inside of the world of the fiction here to tell an interesting story. But I do think there is the other read of the story that works, which is like this is an act of bodily autonomy. This is not. This is Glory saying like I, I don't want that part of me. Fucking take it out because it's it. Rem- Reminds me of something terrible and I'm going to learn how to live without it. And there is something there that does work. And then the mission itself of going to confront Harrow and Marta ends up being a really great, really slow mission compared to what I thought it would be. I very much thought it would be like, all right, kick down the door, fight some cultists. And you fight a couple cultists. But mostly you're walking around this creepy fucking cabin in the woods like looking at paintings of – Marta and Glory. Yeah, picture of Glory um, from finding the yeah. ring that they bought each other. Uh, meeting some some new uh, recruits to the cult who are being like getting ready to go through their first ritual tomorrow. Um, and then this this very video gamey confrontation with uh, a spirit that has been corrupted by the Horned One and and Harrow. And all through it, you have a choice to make, which is: Are you here to save the kids, or are you here to kill Harrow? Yep. Um, which did you choose, Joel? I chose to save the kids. I did also. But boy, did I want to fucking kill Harrow. I wanted my cake, you know, to have my cake and eat it too. So You're also transported, Rob, like the game levels are all pretty similar in terms of like you're in this, you know, cyberpunk Berlin era. Um, When you're confronting Harrow, you're transported to a Diablo level. Yeah, you're just straight straight up up in in hell. hell. Which is super cool. And the music changes and it's great. It's really good. I like it a lot. Um, you should play that level, Rob. You should keep playing because it's really fucking – it's good and the takeaway ends up being one of a sh- sort of – especially – so we did the one – I did the one like you, Joel, that is I've decided to like save these kids, let Harrow get away with the promise that one day I'll fucking track Harrow down. Um, and the the resolution that that offers is – a sort of smaller resolution. And this is a game I think that is filled with that. It's filled with like, all right, little wins. Yeah, you know? that, this is the best I can do for right for now. For right now is save these people's lives. Um, and my only complaint is I've read what happens if you kill Harrow and it feels a little too like <sighs> – What happens? Wait. So she kills Harrow and then the spirit goes into her. The same thing that happens if you – Save the kids, except the, the spirit is contained in the evil spirit is contained in her. And instead of getting the heal spell, she gets she gets like doper evil claws or whatever. That's right. So so yeah, if you save the kids, you get a heal spell. Heal spell. Heal spell. Heal spell. <laughs> if you save the kids, you get healing, and if you if you kill Harrow, you get something that's like more of an attack. Right. You get like a. Better- but you have to kill the kids to to kill. Or like the kids die in the fire basically, right? right? Okay. Of the, the place is consumed basically and Mar- and you don't save Marta. You don't like break Marta from, from his, his spell so to speak. Um, and that, that whole series, it's, it's one of those ones where it's like they're rolling the dice here, right? Like they're taking a real big risk. Um, I think the game is better for it because I think Glory is such a fantastic character as someone who's lived through abuse and who has come out the other side wanting to help other people and – both and, and also someone who has been an abuser, right? Like she has been both 
abused and has been an abuser, which again is a thing that we see in the world, right? Like, and I don't just mean this in this like cyclical, not just the cyclical way. I also mean in this very specific sort of like you were recruited, you were brought, you were someone who was on the margins, who is being taken advantage of, and you are not in a place where you feel you have the power to escape or change your life, and so you you end up siding with and becoming an abuser yourself, and that is like. Such a fascinating, you know, uh, power hierarchy that I'm so glad the game took the risk to show. Instead of it just being, it's it, it could have just been the devil. It could have just been the devil brainwashed me, black and white. Yeah, and yeah, it yeah, super like, isn't. Like yeah. she is deeply like contentious in her heart about the experience she had because she knows she hurt people. It's great. I think that's all I have to say about the glory <laughs> stuff, Rob. Are you? I'm not here. Yeah, Rob, you're you're still there, yeah. right? Okay, good. I want to make sure we didn't lose you to the adversary. What did y'all think of Dietrich? Because the forums were really. I love Dietrich, but but people were like, people oh, like he's useless. No or, way. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. Fuck I off. I love Dietrich. Dietrich's the best. Wait, Dietrich for, first of all, shit. Uh, for, uh, useless in what sense? Like mechanically no, or. Super- yeah. No, you. like that. The first buff that has open, every fight opens with him buffing your armor, and then like yeah, he can nice. fuck you up with. Uh, yeah, spells. he can add an extra action point. He can add. He can summon the spirits. Yeah, and his that spirits was my... break free way less than other. Like you get a oh, sense. Oh yeah, I love it when an enemy summons a spirit. Like yeah, <laughs> yeah. thanks for the extra. Bring it on, bro. Bring it on. I love Dietrich. I loved his story. His like punk yeah. history. What was the name of his band? He had a. Oh, oh shit! Dietrich yeah. Band. It's so, Dragonfall. It's so good. It's like three. It's like three words in a row with exclamation points great, or something. Oh, I didn't know you could sing. And he's like, "Dude, I was in a punk band. I can't sing, but uh, I can scream." Yeah. Uh, the name of his band is Messerkampf, uh, <laughs> which is extremely good. And do you know what that means? No. What's Messer? Knife fighting. Nice. Dietrich. It means knife fight, which I, is a great name for a fucking punk, for a Berlin punk band. Every mission for me, especially near the end, would start with um, Dietrich giving Iger yeah. extra yeah. action points. Oh, yeah, that haste spell is buffing, so good. Buffing her aim. Yes. And then, She's like, sitting like, aside, pop, going pop, to an aura. Yeah. Love so Dietrich. good. So good. Uh, Iger gets that, that move where she can do two sniper shots. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's the other thing. It's like, yeah, this game just gets the first 75% of this game, the first like two acts of this game, you are just like scrimping and saving. I think that's actually one of the best strengths of the game is you're broke. Like, Rob, we're playing a lot of XCOM right now. We have been for the last year. And we have resource limitations, but because there are infinite missions, we can level everybody up. We can earn the money to get everything we want. That is not the case here. Yep. Both with karma and with money, you're like, yo, how am I going to make this work? You got to save up. Yep. You have to sell something. I had definitely reloaded the game like after I bought something that I yeah. didn't need because I was like, oh shit, that's like all my money. Yeah, it's gone. And I'm going jacket. into the final mission. Yeah, totally. And when I went into the final mission, I actually switched things up. It was like, I bet you there's not going to be that much decking here, like because this is the final mission and everybody has to be here. So I'm going to buy a combat outfit and a better gun and not get the highest level decker ship or something like that, right? Which was really cool. But in general, that last act, everybody gets an extra action point and like starts getting extra abilities that are just so not overpowered because those fights can be hard. That final fight is actually really tough. Um, 
Along with the Apex fight the is Apex also is really good, fight too. fight for me was the toughest. Yeah. And I think I, mine was Aztec, the Aztec technology run. Yeah. The Blood Curse run because oh. that just goes and goes and goes. And there's so many people there's you're fighting. There's a lot of waves. Yeah. That's the one where you're, you're making your way out of and there's like multiple rooms of knights and they can take over. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot. Yeah. Um, oh, no, that's a different one. That's oh, the no, one I'm with thinking the of, drone. Yeah, I'm thinking that's of the That's a hard MK. fight. The MK yeah, one yeah, yeah. is also really, really the hard. The technology one. So I go after every mission and give my info to the yeah. flex state on yeah. the telephone. And I was chatting with Mo, and I was like, yep, just wrap this, like, as technology mission. We're talking about it. Yeah, yeah. sent it over to the Flux State. And he's like, did you read what that information uh, was? And I was like, no. Like, what? Oh, dude. So I go back, and I reload it, and I read it, and then I talk to my team dude, about did you, it. Did you go talk to Algernon? Yeah. age dude? Yeah. Yeah, he's like, this is, this is, like, blood magic that's, like, unprecedentedly evil. Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay, you know what? I'm going to destroy this one this time. <laughs> the same same with the Apex mission where I accidentally uh, unleashed a rogue AI. I'm having second thoughts because I didn't. I'm not having second thoughts about Apex. I don't want to – this is one I'm actually not going to spoil for you, Rob. I want you to learn the Apex stuff through playing. Um, and if you fall off the game and in a month you want to know, let me know. But you should learn the big Apex twist. Well, I think if, but, I, if I put like – it sounds like if I put like six, eight more solid hours into this, I'll be done. So yeah, I think probably ten more. But like, depends on your focus level and your reading speed. <laughs> a lot of reading, you know. Um, but yeah, within within I'd say six to ten, depending. You'll you'll wrap it. It's worth it. It's a hundred percent worth it. Uh, sorry, just real quick, I wanted to get no, into, go for it. The D trick mission I think was really cool too. Um, yes, and yes. not just because like okay, the idea of you going on this undercover mission to go smash up a. Uh, anti um oh god what's the um anti-metahuman basically a neo-nazi group humanus yeah uh that's a cool mission killing like a nazi leader is awesome like here for that but the great thing that i really appreciated is that the reason dietrich is really interested in this mission is because his nephew has been radicalized basically like his nephew has joined this group and is in training to become a little fascist street fighter and he's like, we got to get him out of there. And eventually, like, there's the big confrontation where you're in the room. Everyone's got guns on each other. Uh, the Nazi leader is there. And then in comes Dietrich's nephew. Uh, of you course. Know, and he's holding a gun on you. And the Nazi's like, dude, like, you know, shoot these people. The thing I really liked there is that the kid made the right call in my game. But it didn't feel right. like I persuaded him to do that. Like, this is the other right. thing I really like in this game. A lot of RPGs, like the Bioware model in particular is the one I'll say is egregious about this. Nobody has any fucking idea what they should do about anything until your savior shows up and gives yeah. the most basic-ass lecture about morale. You know what I mean? Like, just the most ridiculous, like, wow, I never, get, I guess I never thought I never of it that way. I thought about being a good person. Yeah. It was dark, and now I see the light. Yeah. Thank you. Right, and it's, it's, it's like, it's... You know, it, it, the the games are fun, but it's a really like it's a terrible trope. It's it's silly. It, it makes characters way more shallow. It makes the situations more shallow. This was a situation where like I genuinely didn't know what that kid was going to do. Like right. Dietrich's trying to reach, break through to him. Uh, my character kind of waved off, and I think the last thing I said to him was like, "Look, kid, it's your call, but make yeah, it quickly." 100%. Yeah, hundred percent. And the kid's like, "Uncle Dietrich, I'm sorry." And I'm like, okay, I guess this is the way it's going to go. And the kid spins around and, like, opens up on his buddy. Uh, yeah. Opens up on, on one of the other Nazi troopers there. 
But what I really liked about that is pretty much at every turn in this game, there's no magic thing you're going to say that's going to like fix everything. There's no insight your character is like so uniquely possessed of that you're going to completely, uh, you know, course correct somebody uh, just by making some dumbass observation. Right. And I thought that sequence really kind of typified it. The kid kind of saves himself, really. Like, yes, your group is there to, like, set this thing in motion and catalyze his crisis of conscience. Yes. But in the moment, it's Dietrich's nephew, Alexander, who makes the decision. He is the one who decides, I'm not going down this path. It's not your characters convincing him not to go down that path. And that's an important distinction that makes me... That's emblematic, I think, of, like, Shadowrun's, yeah. like, morality and worldview in a way that like makes me really like this game compared to games that try to operate in similar areas. The cool thing there, Rob, is is if you don't leave that choice up to him, he will he will not go with you. No like, he will not shit. push too hard. Yeah. yeah. If you try and pressure him and like be high and mighty and give him some sort of like, you know, come down on some sort of like moral high ground speech, he will not take to like you have to leave the choice up to him for him to to get that outcome which is really interesting to hear you talk about it in that way yeah i, I imagine like part of that is just like he already has that person in his life that's volker that's the nazi right like he if if he wants to hear someone bark orders at him and feel secure in that that is what humanus is already giving him um you're countering with the flux state's answer right which is like make up your own fucking mind uh, which is again, it, which the focus on individual choice is again a very libertarian choice, and it is it is like that edge where anarchism can fall into libertarianism, um, in a or you know you you end up with anarcho anarcho capitalism instead of you know some some other forms of of anarchic uh, thinking. Um, and that stuff comes through with almost every other character. I think the only character who you give a big speech to is Blitz, and that big speech. And a little like a bit with, selfie with, too. Oh, Blitz. Oh yeah. You're, right. you're a like, little hey, bit. selfie you? Yeah. Have you thought about not being Have a drug addict? Not drugs? Have you thought about not being a drug addict? But admittedly, like, e- admittedly, it does take you like a lot. Like you need to have a huge bag of conversational trips to get her tricks to get her there. Like you yeah. don't. If you like, you need to have like the ability to do four skill checks to get her to the point where she's like. Okay, give me the give me Simon's address, and I'll right. see what's up. Which there. and I, that's the second thing there, right? Which is the thing that actually, the thing for both Sylph and Sylphie and and Alexander is there is a place for them to go to. There is something in society that will give them refuge and time and a place to get their lives straight. It is not a magical switch that you flip for them. It's that you've given them access to a resource. And you've literally given them access to that resource because you're probably the one also paying for that resource because by the end, like, the Ghost Note Civic Center was absolutely, oh, you know, I love, so they good. fucking let you, name, they give you, they name it after you. you I didn't give them that much the money. Fucking, I oh, gave them like not? three or four hundred. Oh, I gave yeah, them I gave like them. a fortune. If you come up off, the, at some point you come up off the U-Bahn and there's just a new thing to read on the side of the building and it's just like Ghost Note Civic oh, Center. I'm so like, good. hell yeah, what's good? But if you check in. Charity is bad, but you know, this time it's good for me. If you check in like how his nephew is doing yeah, like, yeah, yeah. At, through the missions where, where a lot of stuff would change, it's like he's still really rough. He's like, still rough. He's yeah, working yeah, yeah. on like it, it, but. It didn't get, it wasn't like a switch. Right. And 
I felt like the nuance in which this game sets a lot of that character so stuff up was really, really yeah. cool. I mean, that stuff is great. The fact that the, the BBS stuff, you get the update, the kind of like uh, tangential update on the thing that happened. You know, like you blow up a building or a facility and then like three people are talking about that on the BBS or they're talking about like, oh, yeah, I heard that there was a gunfight out on the streets nearby or, oh, yeah, someone found three people wandering around nearby or whatever. And that stuff is all really cool. Also, I love that there are repeated – uh, BBS users like uh-huh. Clockwork, the one who's like always always running, you know, running like a clock or whatever. Um, so good. Uh, clockwork gets a bad ending, unfortunately. Oh, Did you notice no. that? Oh, really, Joel? I I have to. I want to talk to you more about the Apex stuff. Okay. Yeah. Oh, right. Because maybe it's different. I don't know. I don't know. We'll talk off mic. Um, I we should probably wrap up because I have a meeting in in three minutes, unfortunately. But I mean, I guess building on what you just said, the notion of like talking to to uh, uh, Dietrich and being like, yeah, he's still rough. Talking to Simon, he's like, yeah, he's working through it, like, bit by bit. I, I think for me, the biggest takeaway is like, I, on one hand, it is a game that falls towards this. Uh, the individual has to has to save themselves in a in a world that will never change. It is kind of cynical. It is deeply cynical in that way. The, there is no ending at which the flux state survives in the shape that it is at the beginning of the game. Uh, there is no ending in which there has not – something terrible hasn't happened to people. Um, and there's not an ending that makes it feel like you can shift things at the global scale in any way. And, and that vision and Shadowrun's vision of the world is thus very much one that says like this is a, ma- a material world where only people who have access to the largest material resources and who can put them in competition with each other can shape the world. It's a very dialectical wor- world in that way. Little individuals aren't going to shake uh, shake the world into freedom, right? Um, but it does believe that you can help people and it does believe that you can carve out parts of the world for yourself. And it doesn't just do that in stereotypical and trite ways. Like it walks the walk when it comes to dealing with topics like abuse and dealing with with topics like racism. Like it isn't just mutants are bad guys. Like it goes that little bit of extra step to to separate it from what I think are most of the the, the sorts of like, oh, this is a racism analogy. Uh, stories that bother me so much. Mm-hmm. And I think it's because the characterization is so good and because they're willing to make things feel deeply material and and deeply nuanced, not in the sense that there isn't a right answer, but nuanced in the sense that making the right answer, like making the choice that you believe is right, comes after a lot of thought and, and comes uh, with a feeling that maybe you're wrong. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to stand by it. I could be wrong. And that is so much stronger than like so many other RPGs I've played. Those are my my big final thoughts on on Dragonfall. How about how about for you, Joel and and Rob? How are you feeling after all this? Go ahead, Rob. Uh, I mean, I really liked it. I I think I agree with a lot of what you said. I think for me, a moment, a small moment that kind of typified what a lot of the game's takeaways seem like for me uh, was. There's a throwaway mission where you've got a, somebody is boosting one of the Christ Bazaar's merchants' uh, stuff from another neighborhood, and you go there and you confront right. them. And they're like, "Hey, man, like my neighborhood's dying here, and we got no money. There's no there, there's no economy here. Like this is what we need to do to stay afloat. And if you want to like if you want to take the shit back, it's going to be over my dead body. Right. And there's a lot of things pushing you toward like just shooting that out. 
and instead I cut a deal and I was like, look, yeah. we have a merch, we have a information broker in my neighborhood. We'll, like I'll cut that deal. Like he will hook you up. You yeah. will get access to that, but you got to lay out, lay off our shit. Sure. He didn't agree to it ahead of time, but yeah, you'll make that deal. Yeah, He's, he's a good dude. You think he'll, you think he'll yeah. back your play. And the guy says, yeah, fine. I guess, uh, you know, us neighborhood guys got to look out for each other. And yeah. I think that's kind of shadow runs. Like if there's a message of like hope or redemption in shadow run, it's in those exchanges, right? Like people can find common interests. People can find the places where their struggle unites them and overcome sort of the competition that they've been forced into. Uh, right. But it's not done with a pretty speech and it's not done just by pointing out the obvious. Hey, what if we didn't do this? It is, it is <laughs> transactional it is small. Uh, it is about you know building these coalitions, right? That's exactly and maintaining yeah, like Shadowrun. Shadowrun doesn't believe in the future. It doesn't believe in the world, but it does believe in communities like feeding themselves and feeding each other, and like the kind of small world change instead of the big world change. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I, I agree. Mr. Sorry, Mr. Showtime. Final thoughts, Mr. Showtime. I actually have a picture here from Jana that says, "Um, are you?" Mr. Showtime, <laughs> which I've had saved on my desktop, Good, I guess, since I played. Um, I, yeah, I agree a lot with that sentiment. So, like, I think you feel really, really small in this game, and there is no kind of Pollyanna yeah. ending, right? But what you can do is is empathize a lot with you and your crew and look out for each other in a meaningful way. And it, that's not going to make a dent in, like, you know, the capitalist society. That's may not even ensure that you have a place or home or, or you know, all of the things you need uh, to get by. But I do – yeah, I, I think a lot of the making you think about um, – I think it was Colin's piece that talked about freedom yeah. and control um, and, like, per- perceived freedom. Right, um, right. was really, really intriguing, and I, I really, you know, fell into the characters and and – just how everything plays out. Um, so I'm excited. I'm going I'm to hop out some, into Hong Kong. Hong Kong. Yeah, let me know how it goes. Let me know what your characters are. If you're going to hop into Hong Kong, you should let us know what your characters are too. There's a, uh, a – just stay in the Dragonfall thread, I guess, for this little bit. But tell us what your Dragonfall or your Hong Kong characters are over on discourse.zone. That's our, our forum. As always, you can follow everything Waypoint does at waypoint.advice.com, twitter.com slash waypoint, twitch.tv slash waypoint, and youtube.com slash waypointvice. Uh, I'm Austin Walker. Follow me on Twitter at Austin underscore Walker. Joel, where can people find you? I'm on Twitter at Free Magic. Mr. Showtime, Free Magic. Rob Zachney, Zach Attack. At Rob Zachney. Zach Attack. Versus Zach Attack. Versus, thanks to Zach Attack for the music, Zach Attack. You find out more about that uh, at waypoint.zone slash B-O-E-N. We'll be back uh, with a regular episode. Or, you know, I don't know when this is going to come out. This might come out next Wednesday or might come out next Friday, depending. We're going to be at PAX. Uh, during PAX, and so there will probably not be a regular podcast around that weekend. Um, and then Monday we have off, so there might be a little bit of a, of a gap. We'll see. I'll play it by ear. You know, that's what you're always supposed to do. You're always supposed to play it by ear when you're when you're running the shadows. You go in with a plan, and you come out at all, then you did a good job. That's my that's the word for me. Ghost note. Signing off. Never make a deal with a dragon. Never, and never make a deal with a dragon unless you're Mr. Showtime. Unless you're in which case, good deal. Dragon. Peace. Peace. 
Schwing. Bad, bad. There's the drop. There's the drop. We that one in there. Feuerschwinger, party time. Excellent. <laughs> I hate it so much. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.